turn with me to your bulletin insert, uh, which has our passage of Scripture printed upon it, a short uh, passage. We took a, a look earlier in the Christmas season at Zechariah's so-called song here in Luke 1, and we used most of the earlier part of his song, and we're looking at the last uh, three verses of it this morning, uh, 76 through 79 of Luke chapter 1. So let us read the Word of God together. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for Him to give His people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. You may want to keep that handy because we will refer to it from time to time. As you know, today is the first day of a new year and we just need to stop and think about what that means for the opportunities and possibilities that are before us in the next 12 months. You know, there are personal possibilities uh, to think about and reflect upon. Each of us in our own personal lives, whether it's in our work lives or at home, we have things that we want to accomplish this year, things that we hope will take place. Those are what I mean by personal possibilities. This will be my 11th year here in ministry at First ARP Church. There will be people, Lord willing, who will profess their faith in Jesus Christ. There will be baptisms and weddings. There will be Bible studies to teach where hopefully you and others will grow in their faith and in practice because of what you've heard, because of what you've learned, because of what you've experienced and what God through His Holy Spirit is doing in your life. Of course, we have home lives too. And we probably all have things on our list that we hope to accomplish this year. I know there's some maintenance projects on our house that I've let go too long and I just need to correct those this year. And hopefully Sarah will hold me to these words that I said before you. That's why I'm doing it. <laughs> I also hope to get my old hobby project car running. Uh, not just running, but running where I can actually enjoy it and use it after two years of working on it. It is a hobby, but I don't want to work on it all of my life. I want to enjoy it and use it. I hope to get in better shape physically, and I look forward to celebrating 30 years of marriage this coming year in 2012 with Sarah by uh, she and I going on a trip out west in a vehicle together all that time. She says we're either going to celebrate 30 years of marriage with that trip or we'll celebrate the end of it. (laughs) 
And I know you have plenty of opportunities on your list as well. And it really makes no difference how old or young we are. If God has given us time, then there are things He can accomplish in us and through us. The same holds true for us as a congregation, a congregation as a whole. This year holds many exciting possibilities, I believe, for us. Hopefully, God will lead us to a mission developer for the daughter church that has been a part of our long-range plan for the last five years. Our search team is actively at work, and we are praying that God will bless that work and all of that planning and that that goal, quite frankly, that we believe that God gave to us as a congregation all of those years ago. It's about time for the rubber to meet the road, so to speak, with that goal. And we look forward to what God will do in the lives of people who do not know Him because of a new church plant. We're also talking about entering into a revitalization process as a congregation. And and this emphasis on prayer and a spiritual examination of how we do things together as a congregation will surely allow God to work in us for our good and for His glory. We'll also, as a congregation, be participating in a Habitat for Humanity build this spring in Rock Hill, helping another family no longer be homeless. That'll be taking place from February through May. And there are many other benevolent opportunities that await us. Service and effort that we can give to family promise when those families come and spend a week with us once a quarter. Hungry people to feed at the Dorothy Day Soup Kitchen and on and on I could go with all of the various benevolence organizations that we participate in through the year. And I mention all of this to make the point that just as we get excited by all of the possibilities that await us in a new year, so do we see that kind of excitement in this passage before us, though it's multiplied exponentially because God is about to do a new thing because of His tender mercy. Now we know Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, is speaking in this passage. And even though here at the end of this song, in the three verses we read, he he speaks to his infant son, as it were, he still keeps the emphasis on God and what he is about to do. For he says, "...you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him." to give His people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Now, there are lots of different ways we could go with this passage this morning, but what drew me to this text was John's call 
what he's to be about in his life and how as disciples of Jesus Christ, you and I have the same basic call. Now, how can we know that? Well, we can know that because at the end of this gospel, Luke gives us Jesus' commission to the church. Now, granted, it's not as famous a commission as what we call the Great Commission that we see there in Matthew 28, you know, where Jesus says, Go into all the world and make disciples and so on and so forth. It's not that famous a commission, but it's a commission nevertheless where Jesus is speaking in some of the same themes and terms that we see right here in Zechariah's words. In fact, if we go to the end of Luke and read, we see that Jesus says, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You can hear the echo of this same theme we see in our passage about the forgiveness of sins. And that's so important because if you had asked the regular Jew of that day and time what Israel's chief problem was, I'll bet... Well, I don't bet. But I would say... That 99.9%, that's what happens when I stray from what I've written. I say things that aren't right. I would guess that 99.9% of the Jews of Jesus' day and time would have answered, what's wrong with Israel? It's this Roman occupation. We have no freedom. We can't always worship God the way we want to. These pagans have simply overrun our land. And that's our main problem. But you see, their true enemy was not a foreign invader, but rather a spiritual enemy. And it was to be John's work as the forerunner of the Messiah to give knowledge of salvation to His people through the forgiveness of their sins. That's where true freedom is found and that's where it all needed to begin. In having a reconciled relationship with God and only God can do that work. You know, we don't reconcile ourselves to God. God reconciles us to Him. And only He can do that work. But at the same time, there's something for us to do. We have to confess our sin. And then God removes it. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. If we truly confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what the Bible teaches. This is why the angel said to Joseph in talking about Jesus, you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from what? From their sins. It's not freedom from Roman occupation they need. It's freedom from the sin occupying their hearts. And we need the same thing. 
John came to prepare the way for Jesus to give knowledge about what it means to be saved. Surely you and I can do that as well. For the people that God brings into our lives, into our spheres of influence that do not know Him. We can help them understand what it means to be saved and how they need to be saved from their sins. And it's just not the knowledge that they need to be saved, but why they need to be saved and how forgiveness of sins enters into that Through Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches us that there is no forgiveness without shedding of blood. We see that clearly in Hebrews 9. And this same John the Baptist will one day point to Jesus talking to his own disciples and say, look, there goes the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is that sacrifice for sin and the only sacrifice for sin that puts us back into a right and proper relationship with God through His blood shed on the cross. You see, we were born in sin. That's what we mean by the term original sin. And sin continues to cover over our lives like a black cloud. So much so that as Paul puts it in Romans 7, I do not do the good I want, but the evil I don't want to do. That's what I end up doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I that do it, but sin which dwells within me. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then Paul gives us the answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the good news we are to tell because the opportunities are endless for a life given over to Jesus Christ because the Bible also teaches us that with God all things are possible. And I'm not just trying to sound like a positive thinker here, but the text actually gives us this kind of bright picture in the words that are used. Look again at verses 77 through 79. To give His people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun from heaven will come to us to shine on those living in darkness, those living in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. You know, what I take from that is that the world was dark, much darker than it is now if you can believe that. Because people were actually living in the shadow of death. Now think about what a shadow does. It affects who you are and what you do. If it's cold and you're in the shade or a shadow, it's all that much colder. You can't see as well 
in shadows. And it's interesting how this verse echoes that well-known phrase from Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of what? The shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Before Christ, the whole world lived in the shadow of death. The specter of death covered over life. We see this truth in many Old Testament texts. Think of Psalm 103. Very meaningful words. I use them in the offertory. And yet words that don't seem to hold a whole lot of hope when you get over into that psalm. Where we read, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, and then the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. That doesn't sound very hope-inspiring to me, does it to you? Or think about that well-known passage in Ecclesiastes 3, for everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. There's a time to be born and a time to die. Death is always hanging around. People lived under its shadow all of their days. But, but now things have changed because this new gift of God in Jesus Christ has come in the form of the prophesied Messiah. This gift is like the morning's new light, Zechariah tells us here. The Greek literally says the morning star. Like the sun, he begins to take all the shadows and darkness away until it's, it's so bright that it's hard to find darkness. There's still some darkness there. There are still some shadows, but it's, it's so much harder to find them or see them. It's the great contrast that we see all through Scripture. The contrast between death and life, which is sometimes pictured as the contrast between darkness and light. There's always death in the world, and yet there's always life in Jesus Christ because He is the way and the truth and the life. As Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 15, As in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. In his Gospels prologue, John uses the picture of light such as we find to some extent in our passage this morning. He says the true light that enlightens every man was coming into the world. He came to his own home and his own people received him not. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God who were born not of blood nor of the will of flesh nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, where birth takes place, there is life. And this true light that enlightens every person is what we so desperately need as we enter yet another year in this world. In a world filled with wars and, and terrorism and all sorts of fears, this peace 
is what we need that comes from the gift of salvation from our sins and a life that walks in the light instead of walking in the darkness. This gift of God's redeeming grace is why Paul can rejoice in Romans 5 as he writes, Therefore, since we're justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This same good news is why Paul can also quote Isaiah 25 as he writes to the church in Corinth about the good news of the resurrection from the dead. For he says, Death has been swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Yes, there are still troubles and suffering and we'll be in this new year just as we experienced last year and the years before. The world can still be a very dark place at times. And yet even in the midst of that, we can still be of good cheer because Jesus, this tremendous gift that has come unto this world because of the tender mercy of God, this Jesus tells us, and we can believe Him, that He has overcome the world. Even though the world holds tribulation, the good news is Jesus has overcome the world. And whether we're starting a new year or not, that's the good news of the gospel. Believe it and live in its peace and help others to know it as well. And may God bless us to that end. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Dear Father, we do thank you for your presence in our midst. We confess that we don't always know how to pray. And we're thankful for your Spirit that intercedes for us. Indeed, we don't always know how to pray as we enter a new year. We do know that we can thank you for your love unto us in Jesus. We do 